to think this morning about the Ascension. Uh, Thursday was Ascension Day, the day when we remember Jesus ascending uh, into heaven 40 days um, after he rose from the dead. And of course that happened uh, just a short week uh, before Pentecost. We celebrate Pentecost um, next Sunday. I'm going to read from the book of Acts. Uh, and the notices say what page um, it's on in the Bibles, but I'm going to read from um, Acts chapter 1, um, beginning at verse 1. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After that he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the 12th of April 1961, Yuri Gagarin launched in the Russian spacecraft Vostok 1. Uh, As they were getting ready to go, there was the usual communication between uh, mission command and uh, Yuri, the astronaut. At the key moment, the uh, mission control said, we have liftoff. We wish you a good flight. Everything is all right. And Gagarin responded with the word, Poyakali, which means, we're ready, let's go. The aircraft took off and successfully orbited the Earth. Uh, Yuri was the first man in space. And uh, Poyakali became the catchphrase of the Russian space program. We're ready, let's go. As you can imagine, this was a huge propaganda coup uh, for the Soviet Union. Uh, President Khrushchev made great play of this. The Russians, not the Americans, had put the first man into space. John F. Kennedy responded with a challenge to NASA. We will put a man on the moon in 10 years. And the space race, in parallel to the arms race, uh, began. As you know, the Soviet Union was a communist state, 
And uh, this was a propaganda coup, not just in terms of uh, the prowess of the space program, but in the, in, about the, the place of science and the communist ideology in the place of Russia. And so Khrushchev also used this as a propaganda coup against the church. Gagarin flew into space, he said, and he didn't see God up there. I'm not quite sure what Gagarin expected to see when he broke through the clouds, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't seeing Jesus sitting on a cloud. But that critique is still there today. You don't have to uh, read the comments on uh, the websites of the Daily Mail or the Telegraph or the Guardian whenever there's a story about religion or Christianity or the church. And you, know, you don't get very far down in that dark and murky world uh, before you read somebody putting there about people believing in sky fairies or old man sat on a cloud or Jesus up in the sky. So if Jesus isn't sitting on a cloud... What did happen at the Ascension? And what does it mean for us? Well, first of all, what did happen? Verse 9. He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The men stand before them and say this to the apostles. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He says a cloud hid him from their sight, not he went and sat upon a cloud. He said he ascended into heaven, not he took his place among the heavens. The heavens in the Bible refer to the stars and the sky, the clouds and the atmosphere. This is spatial language, which is describing something beyond time and space, something much deeper. Jesus here is going into another realm. He's going into heaven. He's going into the immediate presence of God the Father. He's not going into another corner of the universe that we can't see. He's not going into a different universe, another universe, part of our multiverses physicists would talk about. He's going into another realm, a realm outside of time and space. I said this before, but God doesn't relate to us as a man living in an attic relates to the people who are living downstairs. He relates to us as an author of a play. He writes the parts for the characters to play. And in Jesus, God enters into the play and takes a a central part. He shows the author's intention. He reveals uh, the author's character. He uh, delivers the line that the, the author has given him to deliver. And then Jesus leaves the play. He doesn't hide behind another bit of scenery but he steps off stage altogether. But he can still see what's happening. He can still whisper lines from the wings. We know that one day he will initiate the curtain call and will step back onto the stage for a final time. 
In the ascension, Jesus enters into a different realm, a realm outside of time and space. He goes back into the Father's uh, direct presence. And he sends the Spirit. And there's four things that this means for us uh, this morning. Don't worry, they're all quite simple, they're all quite uh, straightforward. The first thing this means for us the significance of the ascension for us is that Jesus' work continues. The ascension doesn't mark the end of Jesus' ministry, but marks a new beginning for Jesus' ministry. The first words I read from our book of Acts. Luke, the author, says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now he's writing a second book. And the first book is Luke's Gospel, an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, a calling to mind of all the things that Jesus said and a reminding of all that Jesus did, a description of the many miracles and deliverances and authority that Jesus shared. And that's the work that Jesus began And now in his second book, he's he's continuing that story. He's continuing the story of the Acts of Jesus. Some Bibles speak of the Acts of the Apostles, others speak of uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, What we have here is the Acts of Jesus, wrought through the Apostles by the Spirit. At the Ascension, Jesus' work doesn't end, but continues. Remember Jesus said that it was good for the disciples that he left them? Why? Because he would send another like him. He would send the comforter, the counsellor, the one who stands beside, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, just like Jesus. And he continues the work that Jesus began. Teaching, preaching, healing, delivering, raising the dead. All of these things that Jesus did all continue in the life of the apostles, continue in the book of Acts and continue in the church today. Jesus is still preaching, he's still teaching, he's still revealing himself, he's still bringing life from death, he's still bringing healing and wholeness and freedom and deliverance. Jesus was the Son of God, yet Jesus was still limited in his ministry. He was limited in his earthly ministry because he had a human body. And because of that, he could only be in one place at one time. My wife can do one better than that. She can be in two places at one time. But Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But after he ascends to the Father, he's outside of time and space. He's no longer limited by it. He's in a different realm altogether. Because of the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus' death and rising again can be applied across time and throughout space. Through the Holy Spirit, he can be at work in China and Brazil at the same time. He can be healing in the Arctic and revealing himself to people in West Bridgeford. He's no longer limited 
by his uh, needing to be in one place at one time because he has a, a human body. He's gone to the Father. He stepped outside of this realm and sends the Spirit back into this realm. The Spirit's present in all times and at all places. Remember the story of Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene? John chapter 20. And she's overwhelmed by her, her grief and her excitement, and she's confused because he was dead and now he's alive, and, and she grabs hold of him. And Jesus says words which sound to us sort of harsh, really. He says, do not cling on to me, because I've not yet ascended to my Father. And what he's not saying here is, is, is don't touch me, it's taboo. He's, he's not saying that. He's not saying I'm, I'm risen and I'm special and you can't, you can't soil my robes. He doesn't say that. Remember, he invites Thomas to come and put his hands in his hands and, and to see him. He eats with the disciples. What Jesus is saying is, is don't, don't clutch onto me. Don't, don't hold on to me because you're frightened. You'll never see me again. Don't be afraid to let me go, Mary. Because I'm going to ascend to my father And the Holy Spirit is going to come to you, and he is just like me. And when he comes to you, you will know me in a deeper way. And when he comes to you, you will know me in a way that can never be taken from you. I'm never going to leave you again. You're never going to be without me again, because I'll be with you by my Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will reveal uh, me afresh to you again and again. I've got to go that the Spirit might come and the Spirit will be with you uh, always. Wherever you go, whatever happens. The ascension means that Jesus, his work continues and it means too that he is now seated on the throne. The book of Hebrews tells us that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, The book of Revelation at the end of our Bibles has wonderful uh, revelations, visions of heaven, descriptions of what it's like. And it speaks of the Lamb uh, seated upon the throne. The throne is the place of authority, uh, the place of power. It's where the Prime Minister sits in the courtroom. It's where executive power is held. And Jesus is seated upon the throne. Jesus is sovereign. It's a reminder that God is still at work behind the scenes in our world. We look at the events uh, in our time, we look at the events through history, and we struggle to find uh, rhyme or reason, any any pattern. Uh, But there's an assurance here that the cosmos is not careening out of control. Christ is seated on the throne. Christ is in the place of authority and power. And it's because of that that we can trust in the words of Romans 8, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things. Christ can turn to good for those who are called according to his purpose. Because he's on the throne and he can work through all things. He can bring good out in the midst of all things. And we know that his kingdom has not come fully 
and we know that his kingship is not recognized universally. We don't yet see every knee bow and every tongue confess. We know that Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. And that means his, his will is oftentimes frustrated and uh, his kingdom is not yet um, expressed in the way that he would like. Yet, yet, he is still on the throne. And yet he's still able to bring good out of all things. A few chapters on in the book of Acts, we get to uh, chapter 7. And it's the story of Stephen. And Stephen is a, a deacon, he's a leader in the church. And he's dragged before the Sanhedrin, the rulers of, of uh, the Jewish people, the people who've been involved in the show trial of Jesus, those who'd uh, been uh, uh, part of uh, condemning uh, Jesus to death. And he, he uh, tells them the good news of Jesus. He preaches uh, to them. And we read this in verse um, 54 of uh, chapter 7. Stephen says to them, you betrayed and murdered the righteous one. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He has a vision of Christ ruling and reigning. And then he's taken out and he's stoned and he's killed. It's difficult for us to understand that. It's difficult for us to see rhyme or reason or a pattern in that. This man who trusted in God, who had faith in Christ, who uh, was uh, fearless in his preaching, uh, uh, killed for that faith and that witness. But what the story doesn't mean is that Jesus has lost control. What it doesn't mean is that Jesus uh, can't arrange uh, what's going on uh, to his will. Indeed, in the midst of uh, this worst possible moment in Stephen's life, in the midst of this ultimate hardship, in the midst of one of the church's leaders being taken uh, from her, God reveals himself as ruling and reigning and being the author of all things. Jesus is still on the throne. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever hardship you face, whatever's uh, happening to your loved ones, whatever's going on in your, your church or the churches around the world, whatever else this means, what it doesn't mean is that Jesus has lost control. Indeed, he's working good in the midst of all of these things. And perhaps what we need is a, a fresh vision. Perhaps what we need is, is uh, by the grace of Christ and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, a fresh vision that will sustain us as this vision sustains Stephen that we might have again the assurance that Christ is reigning, even in the midst of the struggles and the trials that we face. Standing at the martyrdom of Stephen was Saul, who days later will himself be gloriously converted, who will go on to preach the gospel to the Sanhedrin and to others 
who will write most of the New Testament, who will uh, spread churches that continue to this day, and the faith will be taken uh, to the Gentiles. God is working his purpose out. Christ is on the throne. The third thing the ascension means for us is that Jesus has a universal significance. Philippians 2. This speaks of the the ascension. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is no longer limited uh, to one time or to one place. To living in Judea uh, 2,000 years ago. The Spirit has been given and uh, moves through all times and all places. And that means that no time and no place is is off limits to him. That there's nowhere beyond uh, where he cannot reach. It means that he has a, a universal significance. He's not just a Jewish prophet or a a miracle-working rabbi, or a a sage from another age. But he rules in the highest place, that every knee should bow, and every tongue confess him. Verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Acts 17, uh, Paul Converted after seeing uh, Stephen martyred and Jesus uh, appearing to him. He says, uh, the Lord now commands all people, all people, everywhere, to turn to him. Jesus has a universal uh, significance. And that means he's more than my Jesus, or your Jesus, or our Jesus. And it means for us at St. Giles, we need to have a a vision of Jesus, which means that he is for the whole world, not just for us. We are a parish church, which means we have a a special responsibility to serve West Bridgeford and to witness to Christ in West Bridgeford. But we can never be a parochial church. We can never be a church which is only concerned with what goes on in these uh, four walls or in our patch. We need to have a vision of Jesus, which means he is Jesus for all people. He's King of kings and Lord of lords for all people. And the good news of him has to go to all nations. Jerusalem was the place where the disciples were gathered. You'll be my my witnesses in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in the place you are set now, in the place where you live. Judea was the, the country they lived in. You'll be my witnesses amongst your neighbours, amongst your extended family. You'll be my witnesses in your your nation. Samaria was the neighbouring country. Culturally similar, uh, yet distinct. A place where Gentiles live. You'll be my witnesses amongst people who you don't know. You'll be my uh, witnesses amongst people who you feel uncomfortable with. You'll be my witnesses to strangers who live away from you. 
and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in the the farthest places, uh, millions of miles away. The ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is the story of that gospel spreading out and the church being spread out, beginning in Jerusalem, then moving through Judea, and then going to Samaria, uh, uh, and then uh, spreading out to the ends of the earth. That has to be our vision here at St. Giles. That Jesus has a universal significance and calls us to be part of his mission to the ends of the earth. That's why we support Christian aid, uh, doing uh, works of mercy around the world. It's why we uh, support Friends International, uh, sharing the gospel amongst uh, people from all nations who've come here uh, to Nottingham. It's why we organise mission trips uh, to Zambia, that people there might know the good news of Christ. Jesus' work began but didn't stop. His ministry continues. Jesus is seated on the throne. Uh, Jesus has a universal significance. And and fourthly and finally, he entrusts his ministry to the church. Who's going to do this? Who's going to take this good news of the gospel? Who's going to declare that Christ is risen from the dead and reigns on high? Who will do this? Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Um, There's an incredible vulnerability here, I think. That Jesus has been with these disciples for three years. He's He's been teaching them. He's been sharing his life with them. He dies, he rises from the dead for 40 days, he stays with them, he teaches them some more, he uh, explains what's going on. He, he, for 40 days, over a month, he, he tells them about the kingdom, that about it's his rule and it's re- his reign, and it's about uh, him being glorified in their lives and them living for him. And it's not about earthly kingdoms, it's not about nations, it's about living a life worthy of him. And then just as he's about to leave them, they go... So you're doing it now? Now are you going to bring in the... Is it going to happen now? Now are you going to kick out the Romans? Now are you going to beat up Caesar? Are you, going to, are you going to do it now? It's like they still haven't understood it. They still don't understand what's going on. And then he ascends and he leaves them. And then he has to send some angels to them to say, look, guys, stop looking up into heaven. You've got to go. You've got to get on with it. They've still uh, missed it. They still don't get what's happening. There's an incredible vulnerability here that he entrusts his mission, his ministry to the church. And on our own, we would be uh, hopeless. On our own, we would be helpless but he will send his spirit and he will fill his church with his spirit. And empowered by his spirit, uh, the church will be his witnesses and the church will continue on his ministry. Why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. 
The disciples then were to gather together uh, for prayer. For several days they met together, praying together, worshipping together um, in Jerusalem, in people's houses, in the temple courts. And at Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit comes, uh, he fills them, and then they're propelled out into ministry and witness and mission. And in these days, between Ascension and uh, Pentecost, which we celebrate next Sunday, um, we as a church, along with other churches um, uh, in the the Anglican um, Fellowship of Churches, have been invited to spend these days in prayer, praying for each other, praying for our nation, praying for our church, uh, praying that uh, Christ would be glorified and people would come to know him. And so... uh, To help us do this here at St. Giles, there's a couple of things. Um, You'll receive one of these as you came in. This is a little prayer guide. Began um, last Friday, continues through till next um, Saturday. A reading and a prayer and a suggestion. This is something for you to use um, to pray. To pray for us, to pray for our church, to pray for our nation. Um, that God will be glorified, that his spirit would fill us, that we would be his witnesses. And two events um, that we're highlighting here at St. Giles tonight, we've got our worship night, um, time of extended contemporary worship, the opportunity uh, for prayer, prayer for one another, uh, prayer for our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, our our ends um, of the earth. And then on um, Wednesday... As churches together in West Bridgeford, we've got a day of prayer focused around St. Paul's uh, Boundary Road. The church will be open um, all day for people to drop in. And in the evening there, there's a worship service there um, from 8 o'clock. Again, a time of worship and prayer. All different opportunities, different times that we can uh, set aside time to draw near to Christ um, and ask God the Father to give us a fresh vision of his Son and to fill us afresh uh, with his spirit, that we might be uh, witnesses. The words of Yuri Gagarin, uh, let's do it. Amen.